Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. With home security, there's two ways that you can go about protecting your home. Guard dogs. That's a different way. But there's also the traditional way where you wait weeks and weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune. Or there's the other way. Simply safe. Simply safe is guns. Well, we'll get to that in paragraph three, but simply safe is way better than guns or guard dogs. Now, guard dogs with guns, that's a whole different story. But back to the topic. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home. You don't need any of the rest of that crazy crap. It's got award-winning protection. It's won the CNET Editor's Choice Award two times. And guess what? Unlike dogs or guns, Simply Safe blankets your whole home in safety. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, outdoor cameras, and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry, motion, and glass break sensors will guard the inside. And guess what? You barely even notice it's there. The truly remarkable thing, though, in all honesty, is that you can set up this system all by yourself. I wouldn't lie to you. Anyone can do it. It takes 30 minutes to an hour tops. And there's absolutely no trade-offs to your safety. You'll have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home at a moment's notice 24-7. And that part I didn't add like the dogs and the guns. That's actually true. That's right here in the copy. It's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. And that's why The Verge calls Simply Safe the best home security system. Go to simplysafe.com slash team today and you will get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now. And be sure that you go to simplisafe.com slash team. That's simplisafe.com slash team. from the 2020 NFL Draft. It is now time for second-guessing and armchair general managering to begin. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is May 3rd, 2020. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios at the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And joining us again is P. Butch from the real Washington, D.C. Outpost. I'm actually in a Maryland suburb. Uh, and I'm not going to call him a guest because he's family. He's literally family. And, Pat, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, our Squadcast platform has labeled you the Generous Announcer, and that will forever now be your family nickname, Generous <laughs> Announcer. Well, it feels good to be here. Uh, yeah, it feels great to be back, gentlemen. Always a pleasure to be uh, a part of the Steelers Outpost podcast. Nick, Hi. Hey, how's it going? I, what's the word on like a sitcom for? It's not like a recurring guest. It's like um, it's like an essential cast member, right? But below the uh, the top billings, that's Pat. I mean, it's not even a guest at this point. It's like uh, 
reoccurring bit character. If anybody so, knew the term, it would work better, but you guys know what I mean. <laughs> you know on what the Pat brings to the show. He brings an all-encompassing NFL knowledge, so you guys, Nick and Pat, will be locking horns today on some, I think, some uh, interesting, maybe even controversial topics. But first, let's just talk about a little bit of news, some good news, but not unexpected, that T.J. Watt has signed his, his ex- they've exercised the fifth-year option on T.J. Watt. He was last year's MVP for the Steelers, first team All Pro honors, and defensive player. It was a defensive player of the year finalist. So, finished the year with 14 and a half sacks, eight forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, and an INT. So, now that's great news, except all I can see is 2021 being the most expensive year for Steeler defense in the history of the team. Yeah, the salary cap is supposed to go up, but I don't know if this coronavirus thing and the potential of no live audiences is actually going to affect the salary cap. There's rumors that 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 might dip it um, a little bit, which is interesting because we were just talking about how it was going to balloon up. Uh, Pat, I would direct a question to you in, 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 in the form of what I'm about to say here, thus, henceforth, okay? And T.J. Watt, uh, not being a homer here, I, I I really think he deserved the MVP, defensive MVP over Stephon Gilmore, who I think played a lot of trash teams, as we saw that the uh, Patriots kind of went 8-0 against bad teams and then went like 3-5 and the second they started playing good teams. I guess he had a great game against Amari Cooper, but he got emasculated by Devontae Parker and Ryan Fitzpatrick in the game that took them out of the number two spot for the playoffs. So it was weird that he won the award right after that happened. But I will say there wasn't like a total standout defensive player of the year this year. If the Steelers had won 10 games, I think it would be TJ because the Steelers played on TV, what, like five times. And in every one of those games, he would have at least one sack and, and cause a turnover. But it seems like it always takes the national perspective, like an extra year to catch up to an elite player after he has his breakout, like he'll be a great player. And then the next year, the national media will find out about him. What do you think the like perspective on TJ Watt is around the rest of the league? Does anybody know how good this guy is? Or is he still looked at like, Oh, it's, it's JJ's little brother. It seems like he's pretty good. I, so I, to me, it seems further from like another fan's perspective. He wouldn't flash to me immediately like Von Miller, at least at this point, like you were saying, It'll take a year or two to catch up, maybe, till people realize the impact he has on the game as far as being one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL. But um, he certainly obviously is. And in terms of Gilmore getting the, the award over like a, a Watt, I think that just has to do with, like you said, Gilmore was the best player on the best defense. And right. Watt just seems um, uh, he just brought it every week. And I don't know. Uh, if he's very splashy, but sort of a workman's like kind of character at this point. And uh, he's somebody that I think the rest of the, of the fan base across NFL will come to appreciate and realize uh, the impact on the Steelers defense. But yeah, Gilmore getting the award was simply, he's a Patriot. He was the best player on the best team. Right, right, right. So. Yeah. If the Cardinals were better uh, then maybe Chandler Jones would have gotten it. But that, that was my thing that I feel like distinguished TJ from the other finalists for Defensive Player of the Year was the amount of turnovers he created and the amount of high-profile turnovers, like game-changing kind of plays that way. And maybe 
taking an extra year for maybe the national public taking an extra year to recognize players is also a function of like, okay, cool, you did it once. Let's see you do it again, and we'll see if TJ can follow up that uh, performance from this year next year. Quarterbacks in the news, which isn't new, but it seemed to be this this week, it's been a lot about veteran quarterbacks. The Steelers obviously have pushed their chips in on Mason Rudolph. This is a quote from Kevin Colbert. I can honestly say we absolutely made no negotiation or offer to a veteran quarterback, even though there are a couple available and a couple at a really uh, attractive price. Why do you think, first of all, we're pushing all in on on Mason? Well, that's the Steelers way is they they're going to let a guy develop. I mean, Landry Jones was hated in Pittsburgh. And I think we can both agree, Dad, you and I at least seeing him play a few times that by the end of his time in Pittsburgh, he was a decent backup who you could go. Uh, if Ben was out for a few games, you know that you can run the same offense you run with Ben, with Landry, where it's like you're not going to have the same success, but he's not going to go in there and, and absolutely fall apart. You don't have to go in there and like change the offense to like a scrambling quarterback or anything. Everyone else gets to keep doing what they're doing, which is a nice thing to have. So I think they're assuming Mason Rudolph will improve, which I we know that's going to happen. He's going to get a little bit better. But I think that this veteran QB conversation is a good excuse for uh, like a, a conversation we can have on f- like philosophy that way because I've made my thoughts on Mason Rudolph uh, clear. I don't even think they're thoughts. I think it's blatantly obvious if you know what you're looking at when you watch quarterbacks, there's certain things that guys can improve on. Their reads, their ability to maybe stand in the pocket or something like that to an extent. But something they're not going to improve is the quality of their arm and the quality of their legs. And he has a very poor arm. I say this over and over again when we talk about this guy. It's not about throwing far. Everyone can throw far. Okay? Some people could throw farther, but that's not really what it's about. It's about being able to squeeze the ball into tight windows. Mason Rudolph does not have that ability. That's why I do not like him as a backup quarterback. I think if you are a Super Bowl window team, you should have a veteran backup quarterback like a Teddy Bridgewater or whatever who came in for the Saints and went 4-0 and last year. I don't like having a guy in there who doesn't have any of the same skills that Ben Roethlisberger has. Ben Roethlisberger has got a gun, right? So I guess Andy Dalton got signed by the Cowboys last night. Um I know this is sort of long-winded here. I should have found a better way to segue quickly to you, Pat, or you, Dad. But, what, Dad, what we were talking about the other night is everybody was clamoring for the Steelers to sign Jameis or Cam Newton, and it was never going to happen, right? And I even think that those guys wouldn't be great fits as the backup because if Ben starts slowly, you're talking about having a former number one pick behind the guy. Like, the national media and fans are going to be clamoring for Jameis to get in the game the second Ben doesn't have a good game. Whereas with Dalton, if the Steelers had signed a guy like Dalton, I think you've got a great backup quarterback. Like, he's obviously, he can play. But he went 3-13 and against the Steelers, so nobody's going to be asking him to go into the game. What do you think, Pat, about how teams should handle backup quarterbacks, whether you're in the Super Bowl window or in the building phase or whatever? So what I think, as you've been talking, honestly, and I've been laughing, all I can picture is Mason Rudolph's helmet getting smashed continuously into his own face. And it's hard for for me to imagine somebody who's being savagely with his own helmet to lead the Steelers successfully for more than a few games. 
I, uh, <laughs> it's hard. I just, I think it's clear, maybe not going after those guys, that uh, the Steel Men are taking the gamble that um, if Roethlisberger is to get injured, which he's going to get injured at some point based on history, it's not going to be for Damn the it. course of the entire season. Like, when he, so he sustains an injury, they're just going to have somebody to plug in there because, uh, yes, he may get better, um, but he's not good enough to take you guys. He's not good enough to be a Nick Foles as, as uh, Nick Foles was for the Eagles right. that year when he led him to the Super Bowl, right, at least in my opinion. Um, and so by not signing like an Andy Dalton, your defense is good enough such that if you had a, a competent quarterback or slightly better than, um, you can be competitive, right? And maybe right. something happens in Kansas City, you're playing a very prolific offense, and you take them out. But um, I, uh, yeah, I think that, that's the gamble that, that uh, the Steelers executive office is taking. And... I don't know. It's, it's hard. Part of me, you know, I texted you, Nick. Part of me thought signing a Dalton or somebody like that would have been a good move. I know, you know, Dalton's skill set is not that of Ben's, but... Um, yeah, but it's closer than Mason's is my thing. Like, he's got a better arm than Mason Rudolph. And it's so funny, Pat, because on Twitter, people will say, like, what are you doing? Are you smoking crack? Mason Rudolph's got a great arm. And I'm like, how can I explain to this person that they just exposed themselves for having no idea what they're watching? What, what is a great arm to? Mason Rudolph, give me an example. How about this play where he threw it 40 yards? Buddy, all of us here can throw it 40 yards. Like, that's, that's literally nothing. So that, that's my thing. And by the way, what you said about having someone come in for a couple games, that's my theory on a backup quarterback. Like, you're not going to have a guy who can take over the team. You just need a guy who can win you four games in a Super Bowl window, like Teddy Bridgewater did for uh, the Saints last year, like Charlie Batch and Byron Leftwich used to do for the Steelers. But that was a little bit of a different age because they couldn't put points on the board, Charlie and Byron, but you had these great Steelers defenses at that time. And so it was sort of about, like, do we have some veterans who can lead the team and not turn the ball over? Whereas now I'm thinking, like, I know we're excited about this defense, but you do need someone who's actually going to try and score some points. But, hey, I I do think Mason Rudolph will get better. Um I think that it's obvious that he has no chance to be a good starting quarterback in the league by this point, just based on physical talent alone. He'd have, like, his arm's just not good enough. And if your arm's not good enough, then you better be the most accurate passer in the league or great at pocket presence, which he's, which he's not. But I guess my general feeling was we knew the Steelers weren't going to sign a vet. We have to respect their process in, in, in like, staying loyal to the guys they've drafted because it really has panned out over the years. Like no one thought Landry Jones could ever go in a game and not be a disaster. And granted he was a disaster in a few of the games he went into, but he did get better. Just my opinion is if you are a Super Bowl window team, which the Steelers are, you should prioritize having a Nick Foles or a Case Keenum or an Andy Dalton or something like that. And the Steelers didn't do it. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not saying Mason can't win a game when he goes in. It just, and the Steelers don't have unlimited salary cap, so it is what it is. But that's just my theory on how Super Bowl window teams should handle backups. Well, my question had to do with money. I wonder if the Steelers are just trying to preserve salary cap. But the, the funny thing is that Jameis is getting paid the same amount as Mason is next year or this year. So they're both at like 1.1. Um, is it 
so is it really about salary cap? And let's face it, you could have stretched and, and landed out Andy Dalton if you wanted to. But with Jameis Winston, you know, it's one thing uh, you're, to bring in a guy at the right price. It's another one. He would be a totally different fit. Mason can look a lot like Ben, right? He comes in, like you said, not only does he know the offense because he's been there, but sty- stylistically, if that's a word. Well, I'll say he this. matches up with Ben. If you bring in Jameis Winston, you've got a you got an offense that is not geared well, for a quarterback I wouldn't, like him. I, I actually would say Ben. Um, he throws ten times more interceptions than Ben does, but Jameis might have the closest skill set to Ben Roethlisberger of anyone in the whole league. They're both big, giant quarterbacks who move really well in the pocket and have monster arms and like to throw the ball deep. So the irony is, a lot of people talking about Jameis going to the Steelers it made a ton of sense in a lot of ways. Like if, if it was an ideal world where they, he, they knew he was going to sign for $1 million, which by the way, nobody thought that this guy was going to sign for a measly $1 million, $1.1 million. If the Steelers could have gotten him for that. And if there was some universe where it didn't create drama within the organization, which the Steelers have worked so hard to get rid of after the whole AB era, um, it sort of would be a perfect fit. Like this guy can go in, do exactly what Ben does. Maybe he'll throw less interceptions. That would not happen. He would throw more in Pittsburgh. <laughs> he went from Bruce Arians to Mike and the Feetmaster. But then Ben could retire and you'd have the same offense. So it was intriguing from that standpoint. I just don't like the drama that it would bring from Jameis and the fact that like maybe Sean Payton can fix Jameis Winston a little bit. But the Steelers aren't like an offensive factory that way where they could stop him from throwing the ball to the other team over and over and over again. Pat, do you think that Dalton and Winston got shafted by their teams by being let go so late in the process? I, that's a good question. I mean, yes, from the standpoint of, I, you know, maybe Dalton has a chance to start, but then you look at, uh, you look around, and after after uh, the first and second wave of free agency, guys like Teddy Bridgewater had signed, and uh, with your Panthers to take starting positions, um, he's the worst quarterback in the league besides Tyrod Taylor. Oh god, I know, I know, They're so boring. <laughs> Another game of seventeen for twenty for one hundred twenty yards. Nailed um, it. Yeah, I think they got shafted. I mean, but uh, I think it was a good move on both their parts. I think, you know, James, I think it was a smart move to sign maybe for $1 million with the Saints. Try and re- I think he saw Teddy yeah. Bridgewater and sees these guys as backups with Sean Payton and uh, sees that maybe they can fix some of their, the elements of their game mm-hmm. or uh, put him in such a good system such that, you know, in the preseason he – looks amazing, cuts down right. the interceptions, throws some touchdowns, and now he can go out next year and sign a huge contract. So um, I think Jameis made a, uh, made a smart move, and maybe Dalton as well. You know, Dalton is going to be on a loaded team. He wouldn't have been able to do that if he was let go early, and he yeah. might be able to step in and win some games for the Cowboys and get, you know, vie for a ring. He has so, a house in Dallas, too, so I think that they were like, just, just come on, just be on the team. And he's like, all right. Has Dak Prescott ever missed the game? No. But right, you right. can have your house, which would be cool. Like, oh, well, all right. I'll do that. I think that you're right. The Jameis thing, 
He's like a lucky bastard. I know. Like, that's literally the best team you could go to. It's either the Patriots or the Saints. And the only difference is you're going to hate your life with the Patriots and you have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl. But then you get to get a new, go to New Orleans. By the way, Drew Brees is retiring after this year. He already has his TV deal uh, set. You know, unless anything else happens, okay, maybe he'll be there for two years. But, like, you could inherit the Saints. It, like, so I, I get why he signed for for such a small uh, contract, but that's like a dream scenario for him. I know. What's, I don't know if you saw this. What um, it's So I guess Peyton ended up moving. Uh, he, had a, um, he had an eye on one of these quarterbacks in the draft, but he wanted to get him an unrestricted free agency. But the guy said he already sort of had a handshake deal with the Panthers. And he tried everything he could to be like, no, come to the Saints. He's like, sorry, I got a handshake deal with the Panthers. He's like, all right, if you're not going to agree to us, we're just going to draft you. And he ended up trading into the sixth round to not give this guy the option to uh, to sign the Panthers. But the point is, right now, the the Saints do have four quarterbacks, which is kind of crazy, that that they're interested in. So, anyways. Do you see any problem with Jameis Winston getting a mil and the Red Rifle getting three? What, didn't he get, like, seven or something? Oh, I guess over the course of the whole deal, right? Well, with incentives, they, I guess Winston can get four and a half with incentives. and they're getting, uh, I think that people are, make, are, like, trying to, like, read into that more. Like, it's just very weird that Jameis signed for one. I think that that's what this comes down to. I think nobody predicted that. And um, maybe his, he's in a weird spot since they released him late and he's got all the interceptions. But his highs are, like, legitimately, like, MVP quarterback highs. Maybe his best bet would be to do whatever maybe what Cam is doing and and wait to see if someone gets injured and take over a starting job that way. But I'm sure that Jameis could have gotten Andy Dalton's money if he had gone somewhere else. But it sounds like he took a discount to play for the Saints. I don't know what you think happened, Pat. It is weird. Yeah, it's had to. It has to be what he did because, I mean, I I think there's, uh, in some instances, a lot of money poured into backup quarterbacks. And, you know, you look at it, and rightfully so. Those guys, as I mentioned, Nick Foles, you go back to the 80s and early 90s, uh, Jeff Hostiller, Doug Williams, backup quarterbacks who led their teams to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Um, So clearly, as you said, his high is MVP caliber stuff. Um, Definitely took a discount. And um, like I said a few minutes ago, I I think it was a smart move on his part. So do you think this Dalton's position on the um, Cowboys was open and available to Winston? Because, I mean... Winston came out first. He was available first. Why wouldn't somebody look at him for that job? Yeah, I would think, yeah, he's much closer to Dak in terms of being a big-bodied guy with a with a gun of an arm. But, um, yeah, maybe he took that uh, position. I mean, but if you ask me, I'm taking the Saints position a million times out of a million for, for so many reasons. Like, the Saints are just a better offensive system than the Cowboys. Uh, Dak has not missed, a, like, a single snap in his time with the Cowboys so far, and Drew Brees is about to retire, and you could inherit the Saints. So if I'm, you know, the number one pick in the league, and I've made some money already, I'll take the discount to go play with the Saints because that might make me a lot more money in the long run because Andy Dalton may never see the field ever again. So let's talk conspiracy, another conspiracy theory. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh-Oakland competition for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, <laughs> okay, I am usually not the person to do this, and it sounds fanboy. It's not fanboy. 
This has happened over the past few years. Let's look at the evidence. So long story short, the, the Green Bay Packers should be disbanded as a franchise, or they need an owner. Somebody needs to step in there and put some, some logic in that franchise because they traded up to draft a project quarterback, Jordan Love, who people look at him and they're like, look at all the similar traits he has to Aaron Rodgers. He can scramble. He has an absolute rifle of an arm, but he sucked. And our Aaron was good in college. So I don't <laughs> – either way, all I'm saying is – Packers make it to the NFC Championship game. They get absolutely mauled in the run game. They have no receivers. Instead of taking a receiver or a defensive tackle, they take a project quarterback, and they trade up to do so. So let's all thank God the Steelers haven't done that to Ben at this point, right? Because they've basically given up on their Super Bowl window. To me, the Packers are irrelevant now. And it's really just a countdown uh, to Aaron Rodgers getting out of Green Bay. Because not only is that a slap in the face to Aaron Rodgers, just on a personal level, like... Hey, we drafted your replacement. We're trying to make it look like the Brett Favre situation. And, and Pat, I guess let's split this into two, um, uh, two categories. Number one is this is different than the Brett Favre thing. Brett Favre literally retired every year because he didn't want to go to training camp. So I understood why they took Rodgers at that time. But Rodgers has, has expressed repeatedly that he wants to play until his mid-40s, so he's got at least like five years left, and they just drafted his uh, replacement. Don't you think that's too soon? And I want to ask you that before we move to how this involves Pittsburgh. Yeah, probably. I mean, we won't know for five to seven years, right? So, like, you know, thinking about I do think it's too soon. They were in the NFC Championship game, but at the same time, no, they they weren't the two – like, they weren't the second-best team in the NFC. No. At all, in my opinion. They had a weak schedule, and they they won some games they probably shouldn't have. So um, they're further than that. uh, Their placement last year would imply. Um, With that being said, they do have a Super Bowl window open now, but is yeah. Are they even? Are they even that good? I guess is the question. No. So that's a good point that you're making. Maybe people think like they're in the Super Bowl window. It's like are they though? It it is foolish. You know how much? How many more years of? you know, uh, a Pro Bowl-level type of quarterback or top-tier quarterback do you have of Aaron Rodgers? You know, if he wants to pay, play till he's 42, it would be ideal if you could get three more years. Yeah. It would be an aberration if you could probably get five more years. Um, you know, I think in terms of rolling the dice, they're probably thinking we won't be in position again to draft what we think is a... Uh, 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 a top tier quarterback that way prospect. I'm not saying this is the right move, but if that's how they perceive Jordan love, you know, we won't know how good of a uh, move this was for them until five years down the line, because if they get another 15 years of top 10 quarterback play, because they drafted Jordan love, then I don't see how this isn't a, how this isn't a good move. Um, Well, with that being said, it's easy to slam them right now Uh, for the current, for the next, for the next three to five years, Definitely not the right move. I that, well, that's the first time I've ever even had a shred of belief in what they did. Is the way that you pitched it is really like, hey, they're not in the Super Bowl window. You might think they are, but yeah, when you and I talked about this incessantly before the championship game, what a bummer it was that they were in it because they were going to get slaughtered. They just don't have many good players. So if they're actually taking this as like a, hey, we're going to do a rebuild. Uh, First off, I think it's almost a little cocky by a new coaching staff who's never accomplished anything really on any team with LaFleur and those guys. 
um, to be like, we're going to do a total rebuild. But maybe you're right. Maybe this is like, dude, we're not going to reach the Super Bowl in the stacked NFC within the next few years. Let's get the quarterback. Now, this would be a travesty if it were Pittsburgh doing this because you could say, oh, you could get Ben's replacement for the next 15 years, which sounds incredible. But the difference is the Steelers are in a Super Bowl window. They have, you know, a top five defense when you look at the talent and they have a potentially a very solid offense as well so that would be the wrong move here's my thing ben's got two more years left hopefully right that's when his contract expires he has said that he wants to play through the end of the contract hopefully his health holds up and you know i would assume by that point he would retire aaron Rodgers is uncuttable for two years because his his number his contract number is enormous i look at a team like the denver broncos before they got peyton manning I look at a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before they got Tom Brady. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a lot more talent than people realize over the past year or so. Uh, and they went cash in every single one of their chips to get Brady and now to get to trade up to get linemen, to get Gronk out of retirement and to load the cannon. My thought has always been once Ben retires, the Steelers are screwed because it, that's also going to coincide with the offensive and defensive lines getting turned over, um, so on and so forth. But now the tune has changed a little bit for me because you have this core of superstars with TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick and hopefully Devin Bush and Steven Nelson and some of these guys who are young. The Steelers need to start thinking now about following up their glorious Super Bowl win with Ben Roethlisberger riding into the sunset. They're going to play the Super Bowl in Finley, Ohio just so that he can pull a Jerome Bettis and win the Super Bowl in his hometown. And then you're going to keep the team, and you're going to take that salary cap money that is uh, made available by the departure of Ben into the sunset, and you're going to hand that money to Aaron Rodgers. And he's not going to be allowed to wear number 12 for the Steelers. But you're going to plug him in with that team, which is still Super Bowl ready. And you're going to go, baby. Because originally I thought, like, my best idea is if this team is still really good at that time, sign Kirk Cousins or someone like that, like a, a decent veteran to, you know, steer the ship because you're not going to be able to draft high enough to get a star rookie quarterback. But Aaron Rodgers being available, that, that could be pretty amazing. How much do you think he'd get on the open market? Or how much do you think he'd have to give up to trade for him? I think that he... Yeah, it's interesting because you just got to look at what Tom Brady did. It's a little bit different because Brady was very smart. He worked a contract where he would be a free agent and he was not allowed to be franchise tagged uh, when he got out of New England. So I don't know, but I feel like in the past few years, even with like AB leading the way with this, if the players express that like, I'm not playing for you, I'm getting out of here. I feel like someone like Aaron Rodgers could could, uh, get out. And my prediction will be that Aaron Rodgers is going to want to win a Super Bowl so I would think that he's also going to want to spite the Packers. Uh, so maybe the Steelers are too far away from the NFC for him to want to do that. But I don't think he's going to want to be the number one paid quarterback. And I don't necessarily think you're going to have to give up three first-round picks to get him or anything by that point in his career. It's hard. You know, um, I'm looking at Philip Rivers, who is not Aaron Rodgers. And no. not anywhere close to Philip Rivers seven years ago. He just signed for $25 million for one year. I mean... I don't think it's inconceivable for Rodgers to, to get $35, million for two years if he wants it mm-hmm. um, when he comes out. And as you and I talk, Nick, like it, 
it's so hard to imagine. He seems with he seems like somebody who uh, won't let things go, and he'll maybe carry <laughs> on his shoulder. It's Just hard to bit. imagine him not doing everything he can to play for the Bears or the Vikings or the Lions, someone where or the Niners. Yeah, a, a team where he can face the Packers and be the the roadblock on their path to attempting to get to the championship and also have the opportunity to at least stick it to him once. Yeah, stick it to him. So Ed Bouchette, he of a Pittsburgh Steelers beat writer and, and writes for The Athletic, was asked a question and is asked and answered, Ed, in your opinion, what is the percentage likelihood that the following Steelers remain with the team after 2020? Bud, Juju, Connor, and Al Villanueva. Bouchette thinks that Bud has the best chance of sticking around. No to Connor, not likely to Juju, and probably not Villanueva. So I have, yeah, I have an issue because the entire internet, including the you know little Steelers Twitter people, but now it's branched all the way out to like beat writers for the Cowboys and for the Dolphins. People are insinuating that Ed Bouchette put out a report saying that the Steelers are not going to re-sign Juju. That didn't happen because I, I dug for it. And correct me if I'm wrong, anybody who's listening out there, but I didn't see any report. Dad, we saw it in an asked and answered when somebody asked that Bouchette, do you think these guys are going to get resigned? And he said, no, I don't think Juju's going to get resigned uh, or Connor or Villanueva. Um, so I guess the way I'd like to direct this is it's an interesting conundrum. There's no way to tell because Juju had such a down season because he was very injured and he was playing with you know quarterbacks who were in over their head. I think that Juju should have a big bounce back season this year. As we keep telling people, if you don't know what you're watching, it's hard for me to explain it to you. But maybe we got uh, spoiled with A.B. as a number one receiver and you forgot how critical Heinz Ward was as a receiver. But you would have never made an argument that Heinz Ward is like a top 10 or top five NFL receiver. And that's kind of why I compare Juju to. It's like, oh, yeah, he's a number one Maybe he's not, you know, an A-B type number one, but I do expect him to have a bounce back year. But this is the philosophical question I wanted to ask you guys. Let's say Juju has a very good year, but let's say Deontay Johnson turns into the star that a lot of us expect him to turn into. And let's say Claypool, the Steelers second round draft pick, who we're going to get into more later, also turns out to be a stud. Would you, would you let Juju go at that point? Uh, for the same sort of argument we used to have about the running backs, where like, hey, James Conner can get 80% of Le'Veon Bell's production at a tenth of the cost. Like, would you let Juju go? I think that the Steelers, and I love Juju. I think he's a not just a great receiver, but he's good for the team because he brings that Heinz Ward attitude, destroying Vontae's perfect and blocking that way and being able to play multiple positions and being a leader by example and stuff like that. And I think the Steelers value keeping guys like that, but they also have let receivers go after their first contract. Plexico Burris, Heinz Ward, they traded Santonio Holmes, Emmanuel Sanders, like these guys do leave. Pat, would you keep Juju if Deontay and Claypool turn out to be good players because maybe Deont- Juju is even better than them? Or is this an opportunity to be like, we want to load up that defense and somehow find a way to pay two edge rushers with TJ and Bud? I think, you, I mean, this is going to sound harsh, 100% yes. I mean, especially the, the scenario you just gave. A few things. One, I mean, how far back um, can you go 
and see the consistent success from the Steelers front office in drafting wide receivers or getting wide receivers, identifying talent, right? And so, mm-hmm. I, I mean, clearly, the, the, you know, they let Wallace go, they let Holmes go, they let Emmanuel Sanders go, and Mexico. somebody, it's like, next guy up, right? Yeah. So I think because of that, even if, you know, even if we look at it today, so even if we look at it today and we said we don't know um, what, Claypool, uh, what Claypool is going to become, right? and we have to make a choice because of our salary cap, I would probably let uh, Juju go under that situation just because... Monetarily. Uh, monetarily, and until um, I've seen otherwise, like, the Steelers show they know how to find talent at the wide receiver position, so... Yeah, I would um, 100% let him go. That's what the good teams do. Like, oh, who's the? Yeah. Um, it's hard. You know, who's the standard in the NFL? It's Bill Belichick. And I remember far back as early 2000s when they let Lawyer Malloy, Malloy go. Right, who was the leader mm-hmm. of the defense, of the team. He goes Captain. to the Bills. They beat the crap out of the Patriots. Game one of the season, and then you look and the Patriots win the Super Bowl that year. So, like, the best coach in the NFL doesn't believe. He believes in his process, his system, his ability to identify talent, plug players in, and keep the train rolling. So I would say, sadly, and I know it's hard because one of the best parts of uh, being a fan is connecting with some of your favorite players. But sadly, for the, for the betterment of the team and the organization, yeah, 100%, I'd let him go. And that's depressing. I told both of you guys while the AB drama was going down that I was not going to let myself get attached to Juju because I could just see my heart getting broken again, and it's already happening in real time. It's bizarre how many people hate on Juju uh, in Steelers Twitter. It's ridiculous. How can you hate on Juju? His name's Juju. His name's Juju. He's amazing. And he's phenomenal on the field, but Pat, people have this weird thing with him where, I don't know, he's a scapegoat for people he has had two bad plays in his career where i don't know if you remember that uh like two years ago when the steelers had to win a bunch of games at the end of the year they were playing the saints yeah ben had an amazing game it was ab's last game with the steelers three touchdowns and ben was mounting the comeback drive and they hit juju over the middle we got over midfield and he actually fumbled and we lost the game and got knocked out of the playoffs and then when we played lamar jackson last year we freaking elected to kick off after winning the toss in overtime we stopped Lamar to three and out, got the ball back, duck hit Juju for like a five-yard comeback kind of thing, and Marlon Humphrey just came in with the most perfect peanut punch and punched the ball out, and uh, Juju fumbled, and they, <laughs> the Ravens won the game. So two high-profile uh, mishaps, which you can put at the bottom of all the massive game-breaking plays that he's made over his years with the Steelers, whether it's the multiple 95-plus-yard touchdowns, whether it's mossing uh, Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye on consecutive drives to beat the Jaguars. No matter what it is, people seem to want to harp on him and say, whenever I think of Juju, I think of these two plays, which is, I don't, I don't get that. There's a weird sentiment against Juju. I completely disagree with that. Love Juju, but the way you put it, I mean, look at those names. Plaxico Perez, Santonio Holmes, uh, Mike Wallace was a superstar for the Steelers. After A.B., I mean, Hines is the man, but Wallace was, I mean, he put up the stats. Emmanuel Sanders, they let these guys go. And, uh, yeah, if if Deontay and um, Claypool can do what they have to do, and then whoever they end up drafting next – 
just economically, it's interesting. You have to choose where you want to put your money. Do you want to put all that money into an Aaron Rodgers-type free agent signing, or do you want to make sure that you have Bud and TJ? Dad, what's your, what's your feeling on, on if Juju returns to form, which we assume he will? Would you agree with that? Like, you got to keep moving along as long as Deontay shows that he could be, like, a number one? Yeah, ironically, I don't think there's much of a choice to be had unless Juju has a mediocre season, one that doesn't command a big number at the end of this. <clears throat> Juju goes because the Steelers, <laughs> unless they renegotiate something now, they're not going to have the benefit. Nobody's going to have the benefit of seeing him in the 2020 season because the Steelers generally complete these things prior to the season. Uh, once 2020 season's over and the negotiations start, then I think it's a very one-sided negotiation, right? Either Juju hit the ball out of the park and he's going to want big money and the Steelers won't be able to afford it and they might not need it because they have other receivers, or he's going to have a, a, a not-so-good season. He's, there's not going to be a lot of demand for him. And that's the, only, that's the only scenario I can see him being retained. So I think it's more of a financial decision. I would agree with both of you guys. He's going to leave, too, I think, because I don't think that he dislikes Pittsburgh in any way. I think he likes it, despite some of the people hating on him on Twitter, which I... Hate to see. I mean, it's just bizarre to see people hate on a star player of the team who's also a really likable guy that way. Um, but uh, I do think that he would want to go to like a bigger media city because he's such a media presence. I've always thought that since his personality started coming up from the very beginning and how unbelievably savvy he is with social media. I mean, one of the best of any professional athlete in any sport. I mean, he's a true like young 20-year-old who grew up on social media and he knows how to infiltrate that world. And maybe we'll be seeing him with Le'Veon on the Jets the year after that, Pat. We'll see. But uh, we have some more to talk about, some Jets receivers and Steelers receivers as we move on here. But uh, as far as Connor goes, yeah, you got to think he's gone. The running back train, it it keeps moving, right? But this is a little bit early, obviously premature. I could see all three of these guys being back. Honestly, the Steelers value keeping their guys. But I just think that it's a good again, philosophical conversation to have while we're in the offseason and talking about how you build teams. So, Pat, I don't know if you've had any chance to look at these uh, draft picks, but the Steelers chose uh, Chase Claypool, second round, our first choice, over Denzel Mims, who seemed to get a lot more play, or he was chosen a lot higher in a lot of mock mm-hmm. drafts. And, um, but the Steelers kind of cast their, cast their lot with the big, semi-speedy guy who has that Canadian accent. <laughs> Have you had a chance to watch too much, too much of Denzel Mims, Pat? Because his, Pat's Jets actually got Mims. And the interesting thing is they're both they're similar because they're big play wide receivers. I think obviously Claypool has a bigger body than Denzel Mims, but Denzel ran low 4-4s four or high 4 th- threes and he actually kind of looks like he's playing to that speed on the field he's a little bit more of a fluid athlete but that's not to say that Claypool is not fluid like he's one of the he's not Claypool's not Devin Funches he's not just a big guy who can't do anything he does have some (laughs) moves but he I mean he's 6'4 so which kind of guy would you rather have Pat and now it's interesting because both of our favorite teams have one of them would you rather have Claypool who might have the higher upside because I mean, there's just so many guys in the world who run four four at six foot four, and he's still improving. Or would you have a guy who who also still improving, but Denzel Mims sort of seems like um, a more get open type of guy. He only he doesn't play the slot. He plays the outside, kind of a big play receiver that way. Is there a preference that you have towards either one of those guys or either one of those archetypes? 
So I think it depends on uh, the type of receivers you already have. You know, for, so from the Jets' perspective as a fan, they need somebody where you can just throw the ball kind of within his radius and he can catch it, right? Um, so somebody, the quarterback, I'm thinking of Brandon Marshall when we had Fitzpatrick. You know, mm-hmm. Fitzpatrick made so many inaccurate throws, and Marshall would just get his long arms, scoop it up. And that's what Mims kind of is. Like, you, he's got this massive reach. You kind of throw it in his vicinity, and he snags the ball. Because they don't have that type of receiver right now, I would say Mims. Um, but if you were to just start from scratch, you're telling me i got to pick one of those two receivers to start a receiving core? Man, I don't know. I mean, similar. I, I think I might say Mims because he seems like he has more raw ability. But to be honest, I haven't watched too much of what Claypool uh, brought to the table. So I haven't seen much of his highlights. They're both, you know, Claypool's a little bigger. Mims is a little faster. Um, but they're yeah. both, at the end of the day, I think, tall receivers that have, you know, very fast 40 times. Yep, yep. Um, and the catch radius thing. Right. Yeah. So we'll Would see, you, make- you know. At the end of the day, you know, it's, there's a higher likelihood Claypool succeeds because of where he's going, in my opinion. Well, sure, of course. You know, you're the greatest as opposed person to ever throw a Mims. ball professionally. In the I mean, I'm trying to think right now. The last wide receiver the Jets drafted and developed into a number one wide receiver? Wayne Corbett. Oh, Wait, did he get Technically traded? didn't draft him. I mean, Wayne Corbett probably was the number one, but I don't think they've drafted and developed a number one wide receiver since Keyshawn Johnson in 1997. Right? Well. And I don't know if Keyshawn ever was like the, one of the top five receivers in the league. He was definitely number one. But So because of that, I would say Claypool probably is going to be the better receiver. Well, the, interest, the, the, the thing that I'm latching on to what you're saying as well is like what does your team need? And it is interesting – I think the Steelers like Claypool because even though he had been in college for a little while, he's sort of late to football, and he made a big jump from his junior year to his senior year. So he could still actually be getting better. And like I said, God only makes a couple guys <laughs> every 10 years who have that type of uh, body mass but speed. But the other thing is Claypool plays the slot and he plays the outside. And what's interesting is Juju plays the slot. He's a big slot, and so is Claypool. So maybe he's going to go to that position if Juju leaves. Or also Eric Ebron might only be on the team for one or two years, and maybe Claypool actually occupies that Ebron sort of spot um, once uh, Ebron leaves. So it it is interesting. Uh, I I think that's what they saw generally. If you had asked me to pick between the two of them, I'd probably trend towards Denzel Mims because I like those quicker, shiftier – not that he's shifting me, he's a big guy, but I like those quicker guys who get open. But as I've gotten used to it, it, it is sort of a toss-up, and I do really get excited by the idea of Claypool in terms of like a modern NFL weapon where it's like, this could be Evan Ingram, this could be sort of like an Antonio Gates, um, Vincent Jackson type of guy. And after watching him over and over again and seeing how fluid he is and how well he turns and catches with his hands and toe taps and does those coordinated type things. By the way, he was a basketball player scoring like 50 points a game in, in Canada before he played for the Golden Domers. But, um, yeah, so that's interesting. But uh, I, I don't think the Steelers could have gone wrong with either one of them. So um, we've got a couple topics left. I just want to get your guys' opinion about whether you want to go for it this time or extend it to next week. We were So Duck Hodges continues to extend his career, probably not yep. financially uh, 
remunerating, but he had an interview with Barstool Sports. Yes, Pat, I watched an interview with Duck. Have you guys seen the dude? His name is Joey. I can't remember what his last name is right now, but the Barstool account retweets him a lot. I guess he works for Barstool now. He does like uh, comic sketches where he does like impressions of like coaches at the podium or like Andrew Luck on a call with Bill Belichick. And they're really funny. He does a really good job of catching all like the cliche tropes and stuff like that. And he lives, I think, in Indianapolis or in Indiana, but he's a big Steelers fan. So he's friends with Duck. And they did a Zoom interview the other night, which was hilarious because this Joey guy who's got a ton of personality just removed the personality, I guess, for this interview. And he's just hitting a dip, talking to Duck, who's in Alabama, just eating steak and hunting and throwing footballs at the local high school. And they talked for like 37 minutes. And Duck is clearly that guy who should not be in the NFL by any standards. Like the fact that he made it this far is so incredible uh, from going from being cut in training camp to one week later being like after examining what he should do with his life for a whole week gets brought back to Pittsburgh four weeks later. He's starting and winning his first game. Uh, he didn't get the message from the Steelers PR that you need to keep everything tight lipped because he was telling hilarious stories and he was sort of, Telling you how it really, he was telling you stories that you wish other people in the NFL would be more open about. Like, for instance, they talked about what's your relationship with Ben Roethlisberger like, and he said, like, it's it's really cool. Honestly, we talk more about hunting than football. Then he's quick to add, like, but he he does help me with the football portion. And he said, I think our relationship's as good as it can be because it's weird. It's like you're playing with a like a dad. Like on the field. And they're laughing like, oh, yeah, you must have been like nine years old when Ben won his first Super Bowl. He's like, yeah, I wouldn't really want to hang out with him outside of football. And I don't think he wants to hang out with me either. (laughs) But he said a bunch of stuff like that that I thought was really funny. They asked him who would be the worst person to be trapped on a desert island with. And after a long pause, he's like. (laughs) No, you could. Like a a monkey would steal his helmet and just bash him over the head with it. You'd be down one more man. But then you could eat them. He said juju because he's like, it would just be too litty the whole time. <laughs> All the dance and stuff. But how much do you wish we could hear more interviews like that where you could hear – like he talked about how they make fun of Tomlin for his Tomlinisms and how Tomlin – actually is very aware of his reputation for all those funny sayings he has, and he kind of leans into it in person. And it, it actually felt like we sort of knew what it was like for a regular guy to be part of the team rather than, you know, Cam or Ben, who will who'll be very professional when they give an interview. Yeah, I see Duck, Duck and um, Minshew. Like, they should have their own yes. talk show. I mean, his I name is Duck. How do you get the yep. name Duck again? He's a world champion duck caller. Collar? What does that mean? Uh, like he, oh, dog oh, collar, oh, duck collar. Duck like collar, he calls yeah. ducks. Yeah, and, and he hunts them as well. But he won like national or international competition for duck calling. And I guess when he was uh, at Samford, uh, where he's Alabama. the FCS all-time leading passer, he got the nickname Duck as a freshman, and then it just stuck. And he said in the interview, like, I didn't think Duck was a cool name for a quarterback, but I mean, I guess it's, you know. Progress. It's actually not a good name for a quarterback. <laughs> I think it's amazing. I think it's great. great. For anyone who grew up watching Mighty Ducks, like the quack, quack, quack cheer, it's great. How can you not root yes. for Duck Hodges? Yeah, I do wish more quarterbacks were open like that. I'm trying to think of any starting quarterbacks who are like that. Hmm. And I feel like that's, uh, that's certainly a trade probably more common maybe amongst the backups because they don't have to get as much exposure. So what they yeah. say is maybe not as important. 
Yeah. And you're like, who cares what Luke Falk has to say? It's like, I don't care. Not say whatever me. the hell you want. <laughs> um, whatever you, say whatever you want. Just don't step on the football field ever again. Uh, uh, we don't want to see Duck back on there because that means Ben's hurt. But, you know, it is funny because who's better, Duck or Rudolph? Like, uh, it's kind of hard to tell, but it's hard not to root for Duck. And then there's this other guy who I, I feel bad that we're bashing him so hard, no pun intended, but... Uh, I mean, Duck's at least when Duck's out there, the, you get a root for Duck. Duck's only wrote to the Steelers as special teams, and so that pretty much spells his demise, I would say, unless they have a specialty holder. Right. He, uh, wait, I was going to say this, by the way. How crazy is this? Jumping back to the Jameis thing for one second. After they signed Tom Brady, he put out a social media post saying, like, all right, Tampa, thank you for everything. I'll see you for the Super Bowl in February because the Super Bowl is in Tampa again. And that, of course, sounds like the dumbest thing ever. Like, Jameis, you're not going to get picked up to be a starter maybe even, let alone lead the team to the Super Bowl. And now I'm like, wait, wait a minute. (laughs) He's on the Saints. They're phenomenal. What if Breeze gets injured in the playoffs and Jameis plays in the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay? What kind of poetic justice would that be? But Do you I don't know if Breeze that, got injured, they'd play him or they'd play... Um, Taysom Hill? Yeah. I think they'd play Jameis because they want to still use Taysom at the offensive weapon sort of position. slash position. The Cordell yeah. Stewart, if you will. Right. Nobody gives Cordell credit. He was Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill. Yes. Hey, Butch, Yo. thanks for joining us this episode. Oh, of it's usually course. Embellished, a, embellished an already perfect <laughs> program. That's right. So we're glad to have you along. It's been a pleasure. It truly has. And uh, even for just the, the image of Mason getting hit with that. <laughs> Damn it, poor Mason. Uh, I'm going to be like just randomly crack up in class tomorrow. What's the, what's, why are you laughing, Mr. Butcher? I want everyone to close their eyes for a second. Hey, Johnny, <laughs> no. close your eyes. All right. I want you to think of a big head, a massive head. Now imagine that head getting hit over and over again with a helmet that used to be on that said head. Uh, anyways, oh. yes, yeah, so it was a pleasure. Oh, Thank you very much, Steelers Outpost, for having me. Uh, you know, well, always love talking to you guys. Visit the website at SteelersOutpost.com. Check us out on Instagram at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Go Steelman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.